0: Welcome back to For the Record, Black Officer Perspectives. I'm your host, G. Michael. Today, I'm gonna be talking about emotionally disturbed calls or calls dealing with uh, folks that have mental issues or having some type of uh, episode. I'm gonna hit on um, why there's so many calls for service dealing with folks with mental issues. Is it a good idea to have medical professionals on the scene? Is that possible? I'm gonna also talk about the system. Is it overwhelmed? Can it handle um, the problem we have in society right now? Spit hoods. Gonna talk about spit hoods and the use of those and have I seen them in my career? Have I used them and other environmental factors and uh, talk about racism and the supervision of those officers that respond to calls dealing with folks that are having a mental episode or we call them emotionally disturbed persons. Right now in the news, we have a, another death of a black male at the hands of police. That is a fact. What is up for discussion is, is it murder or was it an accidental death or was it a death caused by other medical issues not related to the police actions? This is an article from the New York Times. For those of you that may not have uh, got too many of the details on the subject of Mr. Daniel Prude. For months, officials in Rochester, New York, tried to keep body camera footage of the police encounter that led to his death from becoming public. A grand jury declined to bring an indictment against the officers involved, but uh, Against the backdrop of a national discussion over police brutality and racism, officials said Tuesday that police officers in Rockchester, New York, who placed a mesh hood on Daniel Prude last year and pressed his face into the pavement would not be charged in his death after a grand jury convened to investigate the case, declined to bring an indictment. Video of the police encounter that preceded his death as well as police reports released by Mr. Prude's family and local activists brought renewed attention in the fall to the case of Mr. Prude, a 41-year-old black man who died in March after the confrontation. Mr. Prude was visiting Rochester from Chicago on March 23rd when he ran out of his brother's home shoeless and shirtless in an apparently erratic state. His brother called 911. The police then got a separate call about a naked man running in the street and shouting, he had the coronavirus. The responding officers encountered Mr. Prude rambling and apparently delirious and handcuffed him with little trouble. When he began spitting, they covered his head with a hood. And when he tried to get to his feet, they pinned his face down on the ground, one pushing his head to the pavement Video footage of that has been shown throughout social media. Mr. Prude stopped breathing after two minutes, though medics resuscitated him at the scene. He died a week later at a hospital. Let's give a little bit more about Daniel Prude. Mr. Prude, a father of five children, lived in Chicago, where he grew up in a public housing complex. He too was one of five children, two of whom died in tragic incidents that led Mr. Prude, the left Mr. Prude rattled. As an adult, Mr. Prude worked in warehouses and factories in Chicago's South Side and friends remembered him working to help find jobs for others in the neighborhood. He lived with his sister and grew close to her teenage sons. In September, 2018, one of Mr. Prude's nephews shot and killed himself in the home they shared. Mr. Prude's friend said that after the nephew's death, he increasingly used PCP and his behavior became more erratic. Before he traveled to Rochester, his sister had kicked him out of her home after a series of paranoid outbursts. Mr. Prude arrived in Rochester the day before his death. His brother, Joe, picked him up from a shelter in nearby Buffalo after Mr. Prude had been kicked off of a train from Chicago, Joe Prude told police. Soon after his arrival, Mr. Prude began behaving erratically, accusing his brother of wanting to kill him. Joe Prude had his brother taken to a hospital for an evaluation, but he was released within hours and returned to Joe Prude's home. Mr. Prude appeared to have calmed down, but hours after his return, he asked for a cigarette. And when his brother rose to get one, he bolted out the back door. Dressed only in a tank top and long johns, Joe Prude called the police for assistance. Officers found Mr. Prude naked in the street shortly after 3 a.m. They'd ordered him to lie on his belly and Officer Mark Vaughn handcuffed him without incident or resistance. But when Mr. Prude, who had told at least one person he had the coronavirus, grew agitated and began spinning in the street, officers placed a spit hood over his head, according to video from officer body cameras. Mr. Prude began rolling in the road asking for the hood to be removed. Then after shouting, give me the gun to officers, he tried to stand again. The footage showed three officers pinned him to the ground with officer Vaughn holding his head to the pavement. Again, that was an article from New York Times, February 23rd, 2021. That's uh, some of the details about the Daniel Pruitt case we often get these police brutality cases lumped together. And I would like to say, if we're going to be honest, if we really want to solve several problems that are in this equation, we have to tackle them one by one. We have to pay attention to the details. Every one of these situations is different. And, uh, Let's break down, at least I will with my experience, uh, what raises an eyebrow for me and what I hear in this story. And again, I know this is one source. I, I, like so many, have listened to national news about this. I've read about it. I've listened to some of my favorite people talk about it, including my frat brother, Roland Martin. I've, I've heard several People in the community talk about it. And of course it's all over social media. I like to say as an officer, many of our calls have something to do with someone having an emotional problem or use of drug or the drug use exacerbating some type of issue and making it an emergency situation. Like I've said before in other episodes, police are responding to an emergency situation that is not caused by the police. That is not a responsibility away from those police to handle the matter in a professional way. But we often fall short when we only focus on the police actions in these matters that oftentimes have to do with people already having a mental episode. We have to be able to fight On many fronts, Mr. Prude was on PCP. According to this article, without going further into his medical history, when officers are told on the way to their call, that the person may be on PCP, they often, before even getting there, at least on my department, are there any other officers available to meet him there? Usually one or two officers can handle most disturbances, but when someone is on PCP, it adds another terrible variable to it because you're usually not dealing with a person that responds physically like a human being that you're used to dealing with as far as compliance physically. These are still human beings. They still should be treated with respect no doubt, but I'm trying to paint a little picture of what police deal with every day. I'm not saying that race doesn't seep into this issue, but it's not solely at the hands of the police. We must ask ourselves, what is the state of our system that deals with emotionally disturbed persons? My department uses the CIT concept or the crisis intervention team concept. And there are recent articles talking that that's that's old, that's an old way of dealing with it. There are better ways to deal with it. Um, I saw an article that was saying that there should be a team of medical professionals, paramedics, and those teams should go out and handle, calls dealing with emotional disturbed persons. First of all, we don't admit to the public and not saying there's a lack of transparency, but I don't really think the public is really aware of how many calls police in major cities answer every day, just any type of call. How many calls are dealing with folks that are emotionally disturbed? I don't think the public really is aware of that. And if they were, it would obviously be an indictment on the medical professionals, the people that fund the hospitals. The failures are with a society. Once again, police are called when something turns into an emergency situation and we're asked to handle it perfectly in the middle of the street when someone has no clothes on and is on PCP. Just by the article I read about Mr. Prude, and out of respect, I really hate to even mention his name, but that's what's in the news right now. I hope his family can find peace. But my point is he, along with so many people in our society are being let down by those same professionals that I keep hearing would save the day if they were available. This situation happened at the wee hours in the morning. For years, I worked an overnight shift. So first of all, all of these great additions and these other personnel in most cities, they won't be working the overnight shift. They won't work on Christmas Eve. They won't work Thanksgiving night. They're not going to be working 4th of July night, New Year's Eve when folks are self-medicating, they're already starting the day out drinking, top the day off with their favorite drug of choice forgetting to take their medication for their other issues they're having and have an episode. Some of them don't have the medication because they may not be able to afford it because this country has yet to solve our healthcare issue. The training that I received as a CIT officer, obviously we know we are getting a shortened course, in the matter. No police officer thinks after we go through the CIT course, we are a doctor. We don't add any special letters in the front or the back of our name, but we are the ones that are responding thousands of times a week. Dealing with these individuals and we do an assessment, obviously the first thing we do with with those assessments on the scene is making sure the scene is safe for the public for ourselves, for the individual we are serving. What resources, every call, the next thing we do once we make sure the scene is safe, if there is a crime in progress, obviously we're trying to stop the crime. If the crime is already done, then we are protecting that scene, finding witnesses, getting witness information, and getting the other resources that we need to that scene there. We handle it that way. Simultaneously, we have another officer as uh, making sure no one needs medical attention. If so, we will provide the first responder medical attention call some other uh, resources, get them to a hospital if needed. Dealing with people having have an emotional episode or mental episode, and we're taught in the CIC class not to use some of the older terms dealing with um what we call these, these individuals that are having the problems. But we first listen to our dispatcher or read the call notes. On the way there, these notes came from the person that dialed 911. The information that we get really helps. What are they doing? Are they armed? Have they verbalized anything? Do they want to help hurt, hurt themselves or others? if we know they want to hurt themselves or others, and they have verbalized that we're already in a situation where we can forcefully. And I mean by forcefully against their will, get them to attention of a doctor to be evaluated by a professional. Meaning if they've stated that they want to kill themselves or kill someone else. Now, we are also trained that if a family member is willing to provide that transportation to keep the stress down with the individual having a crisis, sometimes that helps. We don't follow the exact textbook um, situation because there that never exists out there in the field. Usually, an ambulance is called and uh, they're transported to the hospital and we follow, the paramedics to the hospital. And we do what we call in our department a mental health report. We give that report and a lot of times also a verbal report of what we saw in the field when we had direct contact with the individual. We tell the hospital these things and we hope that the hospital um, will find that enough to hold that person there and give them uh, the care that is needed. But oftentimes, especially in these times, hospitals are overwhelmed. They're crowded. And uh, just like several of the other resources that uh, work with the criminal justice system, because they're overcrowded, we find that people are out the doors before we're done with our report or right after. So we may deal with that same individual a few more times that week and several times in a month. When we know we have a person that is a frequent flyer of means and person that we have a lot of contact with, that is uh, something that raises the response. And we have another level of our CIT team that are full-time all day long, that's all they do. So they're more like the CIT detectives. They really work, we're connecting that person with the needed um, community resources, because it's not just them not getting their medication. It may be their environment. Um, is there something else happening or do they have a drug problem? Oftentimes they're also homeless. There are several other problems that are coming together. Um, believe it or not, officers are trained to understand these resources to connect individuals with those resources our amount of calls for service make it so we may not at that time run through every possibility we can, but we at least when someone is having a crisis, hand them over to another professional. So in that situation, if it went right, Mr. Prude should have already been on the way to the hospital and he would have been evaluated when they discovered that, uh, pcp was present depending on how he was able to communicate it would have slowed the situation up as far as the evaluation being able to talk to a doctor we also need help with the families there is problem with people oftentimes just taking their medication we ask them are you on medication are you currently taking it do you have a doctor you currently see do you have a counselor If they give us names and numbers, we contact those individuals that they work with. Once in a while, those individuals that they're working with can calm down the situation. and we can get them on the phone, we'll use our own phone if we have to. And we're not blind to the fact that there is even more scrutiny with us. On the way to those calls, if I get this call tomorrow, I know that this could mean me being the next officer on the news for doing something that hurt this individual more than, you know, it something that seemed excessive, or I'm killed, or as a supervisor, I didn't properly supervise the officers and they violated the rights of this person. I would hope there would be more medical professionals out there taking those calls from us. But I know that's not the case. And I don't even think in most cities that is anything more than a political smokescreen. I know New York is the largest city trying to implement a, a program of these special teams that are growing going out. And they even had to admit it's only happening in a small segment of the city. And I would venture to say a small operating time because those officers that work in the wee hours of the night don't have the same resources available to them. First of all, we also have to remember the budget cuts that are going on around the country, either for the budget issues because of the recession that is really happening in this country. So every everyone's budget is, is gonna be smaller in the upcoming year, but also people have started their first, second phase of the quote unquote Uh, defunding the police moves and at least that's what it's called by the politicians that govern us they can tell their constituents hey look I defunded the police a little bit even though they were already going to cut our budget anyway but now that's they can kill two birds with one stone Uh, they can make some folks happy with defunding the police at the same time the calls don't slow down. We may have less resources. So when you have less officers to respond, you have less resources because I agree there should be money focused on some other resources that can help us out. This is true. Can we solve all these issues with money? No, we can't, but there's these decisions made in a lot of places that are wasting money. You betcha. I don't think it's just police departments, but, uh, Back to the, what I saw in that call. As a supervisor, I look for, are we being respectful, but being safe ourselves? Just in this past year, I've had officers spit on. Sometimes the spit not only gets on them, but I had one officer, the spit went in his mouth. We, I've had officers bit, those bites have broken the skin on similar calls. That's why I'm talking about these particular incidences, because there's a report and there's a thing I have to do to get them to the hospital. Once in a while, they go through a a long range of medication and evaluations because of the different diseases that are going on. And we expose ourselves to not to mention COVID is the new thing, but there's always been something out there that we expose ourselves to dealing with the public. And folks say, yeah, well, you signed up for it. Right. PCP is something that we can also suffer some effects from it if it even gets in our pores by wrestling around with an individual that's in a a sweat and it gets on us. It hasn't happened to me, but we've even heard that. But when we know there's a chance that an officer could be spit on, a mesh hood or a spit hood, is a normal protocol in most departments and i would at least say mine i haven't worked for any other department so maybe i shouldn't say most but a spit hood is something if i saw that being used i it wouldn't that alone wouldn't um, get me alarmed the next thing uh officers pinning someone's head to the pavement that's where good supervision comes into play. It may come from a a real supervisor, or it could just come from a more tenured officer. Someone has to be evaluating the situation. Once in a while we get individuals that will beat their own head or pound their head against the pavement or wall or vehicle, either because that is a symptom of some issue they're going through emotionally, emotionally, or they're purposely doing it out of spite for the, for authority, or they know they're being recorded by several cell phones and they want to get a good picture. We don't know, but I see this often where without even touching someone's head, they will pound their head against the pavement. Okay. So training would be if we at least keep that head pinned to the ground, it can't have the up and down movement to continue to pound the pavement, but there has to be a reasonable amount of pressure and not so much pressure that we cause more injury. It is not advisable to do that with a knee nowadays, especially after George Floyd. I don't think it's too many things with the knee that are advisable. We are taught to as a control technique, actually use our knee on certain parts of the body at certain times and that's still within our policy but it takes that supervisor oftentimes on the scene to understand the big picture how does it look if we already have a spit hood on the person we probably are not going to get bit by that individual so we have a few seconds to to take a little time to think about how can we protect ourselves at this but at the same time control the individual another Variable that always has to be looked at when you're talking about um, police interaction with a subject. Are they already in custody or are they already cuffed? In this article, it said that uh, Mr. Prude was cuffed without incident. He, He let them cuff him up. And a lot of times we get a lot of the resistance after the person is cuffed. But I'm sure most departments have strict policies on what can be done to an individual to control them after they're cuffed. Could you still be spit on or bit or kicked when someone's cuffed? Yes. Could some folks still pull their hands underneath their feet to where their hands are in front of them? Still pull your weapon from, from your holster with their hands? They can do a lot of things with cuffed hands. But uh, we have to know as officers, a lot of things are out of play once someone is cuffed. So if I was there and and I saw the hood on and I saw pressure being applied to the head, one of the things I'll be looking at is how much pressure, not to grind his head into the ground with your knee, not giving him a neck injury by applying too much pressure to the wrong place. But I would most likely Replace that knee with a hand, if not one hand, two hands. We've even found for a, a young a young kid a few weeks ago that was doing exactly that, hitting his head on the ground. I got his jacket off of him, folded it up, and put that jacket under that jacket under his head, to where he was hitting the jacket over and over and not the ground. So you know, some things like that can be done. The other thing is not letting the individual and I didn't think I heard this in this situation, but when we're pinning someone to the ground after we have control of them, it is not advisable to keep them chest down on the ground with pressure on their back simply because it's harder to breathe. We also have to remember the person is excited. They already may be hyperventilating we're pretty sure that person is already having a, me- a medical problem because that's why we're called there. So medical personnel in most departments has already been called and they're standing by until we make the scene safe. And if that hasn't been done, that supervisor is asking, have we called medical or medical personnel, whatever they're called in that city. If we haven't get them here, if they're standing by, Go ahead and bring them. Tell them to come in Um, there. I heard some folks saying that the term excited delirium is something made up recently to explain what happens to individuals when they mysteriously die in police custody. Well, I went to the academy starting in May 1999 and we learned about excited delirium then. I don't know if it was a brand new term then. I had never heard of it before. Uh, I went to college for criminal justice. i never heard of excited delirium, but uh, I don't know if it was a real medical term or quote unquote pseudoscience term, but the, case, the cases that were explained to us, we had to watch out for suffocating someone and understand that we don't want to keep them on their chest too long or even pr- putting too much pressure, even with them. If they're on their back, I can't think of too many situations where we have someone on their back face up. But when you're in a when you're on the ground rolling around with someone doesn't always look pretty, doesn't always work like it does on the mats um, in the training rooms. But as soon as you can, I at least get those individuals sitting up. If we're not ready to stand them up. We can even sit them up and request that they cross their legs. Why do we do that? Because there's some folks that can hop right up and run away. Yes, people will run from us in cuffs. Uh, So I at least know that's the extra step. If their legs are crossed, that's the in in, in, and they uncross those legs. I can see that maybe they're trying to get up to run. So just let the officers know, I still understand. We don't want to chase them down the street, but at the same time, I don't want this person suffocating. I will have the officers turn them over and at least sit them up. Once we can feel the person calming down a little bit, we'll stand them up by giving them instructions on how to stand up properly as not to injure themselves because they don't have their hands to catch themselves and we don't want to yank them up by the cuffs. And we don't want to injure their shoulder. So we give them instructions on how to place pick one knee up, put their foot on the ground and, and pick them up in an encircling manner to get them up. So it's taking us to calm down enough so the individual can hear an officer giving that person giving him verbal commands. Will that always work when we have someone having a emotional episode or someone on the influence uh, under the influence of drugs? A lot of times it doesn't work. And we have, sometimes they snap in and out of being able to talk to them in a normal way, and then they go right back into a rant, and then they may calm down and talk. Once in a while, they recognize a the supervisor, and they calm down and talk to me. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they act better for the medical professionals, admittedly, until that medical professional wants them to do something they don't wanna do. and. And then they step back and they look at the officers as if, okay, well, do your thing, officers. He's um, acting up too much for me to deal with him. So, and there's several more things that a supervisor and an officer has to do. Keeping in mind, I'm in a calm setting right now. I know that I am doing the worst Monday morning quarterback and I'm trying not to, I'm trying to come from my experience and what I would do and what I would like to see. When we get that person to the hospital, like I said, we are giving a a report directly to the hospital right there on what we saw with this individual. And hopefully they are getting assistance. But we know there is a failure in several societal programs that create that problem before they even see the police. And we must admit that. And unfortunately, I think when we focus so much and lump everything into a police brutality or a race issue, we take the spotlight off of those other problems we must solve. Because after my 20 years of experience, I believe that everything I do as a police officer, that it's an emergency, is because some other societal institution failed, whether it's hospitals, schools, churches, whatever it may be. If society was working how it's supposed to work, 911 would not be dialed as much as it is. The racial aspect of this is something that is a little harder to recognize. But do I know that there are some officers that would handle the situation differently if it was another race? Probably. In the area where I work, I see it more of a class, a lot of white males, black males, Hispanic males, and females. And I think that that comes into play a lot of times more than the race, but I'm not in, I can't get in someone else's head or their heart. But I will say that the societal institutions that help create this problem are affected by the same race issues and class issues as well because in certain communities we don't have the beds in hospitals that are taken up the medical staff overwhelmed the homeless shelters overwhelmed if there are any homeless shelters at all the police officers overwhelmed because we if we didn't realize this in these same communities are probably the kind of communities that 911 is dialed more than other communities because of the other societal breakdowns. And with the shortage of officers that we're already dealing with, those issues are compounding because these are still human beings responding to these calls. These are human beings that respond to these calls hundreds of times a week, thousands of times a month. And unfortunately, Certain personality types, like myself, ask myself, how many times do I have to respond to this same type of call before society does something about the issue that's causing it? So, what I'm saying, I hope this year and last year has sparked something in this country that we will really handle our racial issues, starting with a better education, maybe starting with black people taking over the education for our young. But as a black man, I would think it's my own responsibility to educate my young in the first place, especially about our own people. So I really don't worry about that too much. But to get back on topic, we are handling that one part of the equation, the racial issues inside police departments, the transparency issue, the Training, And I would like to say that we do a lot of training in most major cities. If we were to add training, every problem, every knee jerk reaction that came up, we would never be on the street. If we added a new class, a professional development class to handle every issue. But it's going to take someone that comes to the job and it's not broken by the amount of devastation that they see every day. The PTSD is real, but we are in a culture on most of police, most police departments that we don't talk about it. It's just now being recognized. We barely even recognize it with our military. I'm also a veteran. We barely recognize peace uh, PTSD with our military. We're at the baby stages of recognizing it in law enforcement. And I think it's even harder to recognize it with our fellow police officers because we really don't spend that much time with our peers like we would even in the military. What do I mean by that? In the military, a lot of times you train with your peers, you work with them and you even live around them. You see them on a continual basis. Uh, You know, a lot of times the police department, we, we come in, we go to roll call, we hit the street. We may ride with a partner, we answer calls with a few officers, but there's hardly ever a time when we're all together except for a couple of times a year when we all get together to train. And that's still not all of us. And in that environment, when we sit in rooms and we talk about some of our issues, if we have maybe an hour to talk about that as a group, that's when you see that most people don't have the, I don't wanna say backbone or the guts, cause I don't always do it myself but to pour out their heart um, about what was happening to them and how they know they're changing and how it affects their friends and their family members because they see the change as well. And then you see how the world is using you as a scapegoat for a lot of other problems that you are not responsible for. I agree a lot of times police handle some things that should be handled by professionals. This mental health crisis is something we would prefer, all of us would prefer doctors handle it. There are not enough doctors to go around and be on the street for every call. Any politician anywhere that tells you they're gonna put together something to do that is lying to you. They're lying to you about how many calls you really get with emotionally disturbed people. There's no way we're gonna have a doctor on every emotionally disturbed call. And if they do, who's paying for it? Because we don't even have enough police officers for every call. So once in a while, police officers have to be a jack of all trades. No matter what you dial 911 for, there's probably police officers gonna be involved in that some type of way. Because we also respond to the fires with the fire department, medical calls with the paramedics, and then all of our calls. Anything you will ever dial one, for, somehow or another police officer's gonna be involved. Are we really a professional in all of those arenas? That's impossible. But sometimes for expediency's sake, we have to take charge. I remember one time I was uh, sitting across from a, a gas station in my patrol vehicle doing a uh, police report in, in my car before I got another call. And I saw a fire that started over at, at the gas pumps. Some guy's car just started burning under the hood and he was pumping gas. As soon as I saw that, called on the radio, said start fire, gave their address of the gas station. Now I could have sat there and waited for the professionals to get there, but I saw that the guy didn't know where the gas shutoff pump was. I didn't know if he was going to be smart enough to at least, Stop the gas, maybe, you know, get the extinguisher that was hanging up next to the uh, gas station. But I knew I had a fire extinguisher in my trunk. So I drove over there, over my trunk, went out and put the fire out. I'm not a professional fireman. But in that situation, it made more sense for a non-professional to handle the situation before it got worse. Life doesn't always fit into a nice little pretty box. It's dirtier. I think more of us need to get out there and handle some of these issues in real time and see when you deal with human beings, nothing is routine. I'm your host, G. Michael. This is For The Record, Black Officer Perspectives. Thank you, and I look forward to you joining me again.